You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. I'm preaching this and then got my grandson, eldest grandson with me, Jensen, and we're going to jump in the car and head off to uh, our other campus. I haven't preached over there for months and so I need to get over there and say hello to those guys. And God's stirring up some great stuff over there at our other campus also. But I want you to keep in your, in your focus and in your, your awareness. Um, all of a sudden, the service isn't over just because I finished preaching. Matter of fact, it should begin. You know, it was after the apostles preached that things began. It's not that they went, right, yeah, it's time. None of that stuff happened. There was this there is a sense that the Word of God releases something about grace that just changes lives forever. And I want you to think about that because already God is starting to talk about people being healed after this, people being born again and people uh, having an encounter with God. So you keep that switched on in your head, no matter where you have been. The Bible says, even when our hearts condemn us, you know, there are times in our lives where we're not walking so close to God or we're not, we don't feel close to God or whatever and we feel like we're alienated from God. The Bible says even when we're in that state, He is faithful. He remains faithful. And so, you know, and interesting, whether you've got faith this morning for something to happen matters not. I mean, it's, it's good if you do. But whether you've got faith or not doesn't determine whether it will happen. I know you go, well, hang on, what about? Listen, there's enough faith in the room to make it happen. People brought total non-believers to Jesus and according to their desperate faith, people were raised up and healed and had breakthrough. So even if you don't have it this morning, other people do and that'll work because all it needs, you know, he said, where two or more of you agree is touching anything on earth, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. So you don't have to come with a mountain moving faith to have a mountain moved. Somebody in here has got that and it will move mountains this morning because I'm telling you, God is really up to something. Prayer on Sunday mornings taking off. It's making a difference in the services. We had incredible services last Sunday with a sense of the presence of God from the beginning. Pastor Chris, who is here, said, whoa, I haven't been in a service like that for years. And then she came to the prayer meeting on Tuesday night and she said from the very get-go, she felt the fire of God fall in that meeting. And she said, I've not been in a prayer meeting like this. Something is on us right now. There's a groundswell of encounter and expectation that's taking place. And a bit later in the service, we're going to show you a video. It's a very short one. Uh, I, I said to Pastor Eric, because he prayed, he prophesied over everybody in the room Tuesday night. And if you missed it, whoa, you missed something. Because he prophesied over everybody. I don't know if it's about 11 o'clock by the time we left there. And, uh, and I said to him at the staff meeting Wednesday morning, I guess you had a good sleep. And he said, well, actually I didn't. Because the Lord woke me up about three times during the night and he gave me a vision of your church. And it was sequential. One just followed the other and carried on from the previous one. And that, you're going to hear him share that, uh, which is going to bring anticipation and faith and loose some stuff and create atmosphere. Right? You ready for that? Because it reminds me of the atmosphere and the expectation that, uh, that you read last week in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to go there again, where we went last week, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. If you backtrack to verse 43, he talks about the promise of the Father that, that was the Holy Spirit Jesus received and poured him out on us. You are sitting in the lap of promise. It's yours. And so this follows on, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I can imagine what they looked like after baptizing all those people. 
bunch of prunes, but anyway. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you've been around for a while, you're probably sitting there going, I've heard you preach this I don't know how many times. And if you sit around longer, you'll keep hearing it. I preached out of this text for the first time in 1976 as a young college student. It, I was a year and a half old as a Christian. And it captured my attention then, and it still does to this day. The state of the church. And I remember thinking, why isn't the church like this today? And I've heard people down through the years say the same thing. You know what the truth is? We are like this. Oh, golly, that went quiet. You went, yeah, nah. We are like this. We just need to see it and live it. There's nothing new to get. Stop looking for the new. Look for the now. God moves now, suddenly. It's not always, look, I want to do something new. It's never new. If it's new, it's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. That's as old as Ecclesiastes. What's new is my encounter with it. Because it's already been given, already been promised. And I remember thinking, why isn't the church like this today? And God said, well, it is. You're just not living it. I don't have anything new for you. If you would live what you got, there would be no need for anything else. And so I remember preaching it and, and, and realizing there is something significant embedded in this text. You see, the fire of revival on the early church carried an atmosphere wherever they went, a presence. And in turn, it just rolled out with massive, massive influence wherever they were. Because the atmosphere that they carried was one of passionate commitment. I just can't get away from that. It's, it's basic, but if you ever move beyond that and think you don't need it, you've lost something. Because the Bible says they were continually devoting themselves. Do you see this? They had already been baptized in the Spirit. Fire of God fell on them. Thousands saved. And yet there was something that just needed to happen every day. They continued. I think that's what's been lost. It's not that we need something new. It's we need to lock into what we have. And continue in it. And when he says they, he's not talking about the apostles or the 120 leaders or, or Christians in the upper room. They refers to at least 3,120 people in one day. Bang! The church goes from 120 to 3,120. And then as you read this scripture rolling out, it's not like minutes after Pentecost. It's not even days after Pentecost. It could be a year or two after Pentecost that he is recording. And he's saying, they just kept doing this over and over because it was a, it was a fire. It was a passion. It was a, com it was a commitment to the presence of God being carried by the whole church, not just the leaders. Now, I want to tell you something. The passion that exists in this auditorium should not stop at row three. Come on. And you say, well, I'm not passionate. Yes, you are. Stop lying to me. You are passionate. I've heard you yell when something about Newcastle comes up. It's just what are you passionate about? That's the issue. They. 
And if we're going to see the revival, the fire of revival in this place, all of us have got to engage our heart towards him. Because revival is best carried by all of us, not just a few of us. And it begins with what we talked about on the 24th of September, guarding our heart. I can't guard your heart. I can't change your heart. I can't even begin to affect your heart. That's something you have to do. Paul even told Timothy, Timothy is decades into his ministry. You know what Paul said to him? Timothy, Timothy, fan the flame. Now, why would you say that? Because the flame is down to coals. You ever been out camping in the bush? You know, it's time to go to bed when the coals are, even the redness is starting to fade and it's starting to get dark in the fire pit. You go, hey, it's time to go to sleep. Right, that's what happens when the fire goes down. People go to sleep. God says, get up off your derriere and get some wind on that thing and get some combustible stuff on that thing because I'm not finished. I'm not going to sleep. And we've got to guard our heart. And the deal is this, you know, since September, when this all started, there's been a growing sense of the presence of God among us. Something has been building week by week. It's been building in your heart and life. But it cannot and it must not take place only in a sermon series. If it is, it's just rhetoric. It, it can't be contained in a building. It can't be limited to one and a half hours on a Sunday morning. This is something that consumes our lives. Think of fire people. It consumes, it moves fast and it consumes everything in its way. I remember when the bushfires hit down south um, a number of years ago. Tragic story. A man told his wife and kids to go on and he had to go rescue his precious Harley. I can understand the Harley. But he thought, I will outrun this on the Harley. And even the speed of a Harley could not match the speed of the fire. And he was consumed. Who would give their life for a motorbike? Don't raise your hand, Scott. It's just a BMW. Just. But who would do that? And yet at the same time, this kind of fire we're talking about moves quickly. And it follows us everywhere we go and consumes things in sight. When's the last time somebody around you went, there is something different about you? You don't even have to say a word. There is something different about you. What is it? Now, if somebody hadn't said that, then maybe colds are getting dark or you're just hanging around Christians. It's one or the other. But you see, this kind of thing has got to go beyond a series of sermons. If you track the church through the early chapters of the book of Acts, see from chapter 1 to about chapter 5, you're talking anywhere up to 10 years. It just doesn't look that way chronologically in there. And you're talking about 10 years. By the time you get to chapter 4, what happens? These guys are so filled with the Spirit in a prayer meeting, the building was shaken. The building was shaken. We're in Baghdad and we had a prayer meeting. We're up on one of the high floors. And I remember the building shaking. I'm thinking, this is it! As just American helicopters hovering over us. But we thought we'd got the Holy Spirit moving. But when's the last time you've been in a prayer meeting where things were shaken? Man, that's the way it should be. And if you, chat, if you track through uh, the early chapters of Acts and you look at the church, uh, among many things, you know what you're going to see? Two things are going to stand out. Number one, the passion and the fire not only continued beyond Pentecost, it increased. We've got to stop treating Pentecost like an event. Now, you don't, you don't need to get baptized in the Spirit again and again and again. To be baptized in the Spirit is an event, but to be filled with the Spirit is a continual lifestyle. And that's what's missing. People think, I got it, so I don't need to get it. 
And the second thing you'll read through the book of Acts is this, the effect spread far beyond their meetings. Have you ever stopped to think, where in the world, by the time you get to chapter 5, it says, and they numbered 5,000 men. Now, when the Bible says that, it's not counting women and children. Have you ever thought, where in the world did they meet? We think we got building problems. You realize in early Christianity, up until Constantine, the Christians were not even allowed to rent facilities, much less own them. Where in the world did this massive church meet? Everywhere they could. Everywhere they could, because they took the fire of God far beyond their meetings. Why? Because they were devoted. It, 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 Christianity to them wasn't like Christianity today. Oh, look, I think I might become a Christian. Yeah, that'd be a good thing. I, I need a bit of religion in my life. God would be a good addition to my world. They didn't think like that back then. I love what the new Bible commentary said about these new converts. It says the new converts didn't merely add Christianity to their already busy lives, but devoted themselves to their Christian experience. There's your difference. People come to Christ today if they're desperate or it's convenient. They came to Christ because they experienced his power. Difference, isn't it? And if we're going to influence this city for the kingdom of God, it, it's got to come out of a place of presence and fire that's happening now. And it's got to go beyond just this series. All right, Keith, what's next? Uh, you know, we, we've preached on this about four or five weeks. What's next? Any kind of thought like that is just thrown water on fire. It requires people who have a passionate commitment to Christ, one that follows us wherever we go. People should be asking you, what is, a, what is it about you? Why don't you treat the boss like everybody else in the office? Why did you hand in that $50 to the information desk at Charlestown Square that you picked up off the ground? Why did you do that? There's something about you. People who are passionate. And when this commitment happens and it increases over time, the impact increases. Did you realize that? There's an exponential growth in impact because the devotion is increasing constantly. But the question that each of us must ask is this, and grace doesn't nullify this question, by the way. Am I more committed to my faith now than when I first believed? Mm, that's a good question. And if you can't honestly answer yes, the coals are getting dark in your, in your heart. Am I more passionate about him than ever before? Well, maybe you need a revival of the heart. We, we, we need to get our commitment on and our passion firing. Simple. So they, they, they created an atmosphere and carried an atmosphere because of this passionate commitment. But they also carried an atmosphere from impassioned, or I call it heated, unity. That's an interesting word. Unity has become meetings or a movement. Or a conference. In the early church, unity was the power of God that swept through cities and changed them. Listen to me. You can't capture unity in a meeting because it's unity of the Spirit. And if the Spirit isn't, pre isn't predominant in that meeting, there is no unity. There's uniformity. And we don't have to create unity. We live in unity because it's given to us by the Spirit. And we get heated about that. We get, where's that heated come from? In Acts 2.46, it says, day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. 
The atmosphere was charged, man. It was, it was alive. It was electric. It was more than just a fuzzy feeling on the day. People will go, yeah, that was an awesome service. What do they mean? I had a feeling. I had a feeling. No. And they just think it's down to feelings. It's far more than a feeling. And when you read this verse in the English, in verse 46, and they and every day they continued to meet together in the temple, and you skim over it in the English, you know what? You miss something powerful. Now, I know everybody can't read the original, and that's okay, but you can press a button on electronic devices, and it'll tell you. And, and if you just read it quickly in the English, you go, all right, every day they met. Good. And you're going to miss something forceful behind that because the word that Luke used to describe it, which by the way, Luke uses this word more than any other writer in the Bible to describe the church together. That phrase was so strong, it's often used to describe a group of people who are moved with rage or anger or heated. They're heated about something. For instance, Luke uses it in Luke 4.28. You know what happens there? Jesus goes home to Nazareth. Nazareth. He reads this, uh, the scroll of Isaiah, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, and then he closed it and said, that's me. They get enraged. It says in Luke 4, they were furious. They were so furious, and there's the word. There's the heat. There's the anger. But it is a collective heat. They, they gathered around him like an angry mob, and they drove him out of the synagogue, and they tried to drive him over the edge of a cliff to kill him. That's the word. This word, Luke cannot use a stronger word to describe the atmosphere of this church. It is heated with unity. So here's what it means. It's a compound word, homothumadon. And it literally, the first part of it, homoas, literally means like, similar. We're alike. We've got something alike. The second part of the word, thumos. I kind of wonder if we get the word thermos from it. Because it does mean heat. Anger, something boiling over. It's, it's, a, it's a wrath, it's a strong passion. And one dictionary defines it as an inner unity of a group of people enraged or engaged in external action. Enraged or engaged. But they're passionate and it's boiling over and they can't contain it. That is the atmosphere of a church on fire. Unity was far more than a gathering. They weren't just getting together. If you read that in English, yeah, they got together every day. We can't do that. We're Westerners and we're busy. We've got excuses. We've got lifestyles. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, go have a meeting every day and you'll get revival. That's not what he's talking about. You know, a lot of revivals try to do that and it, it starts petering out because they get busy, so busy they get worn out and they stop carrying fire. That's what happens. And we go, oh, we've got to meet every day. It's not that we need to meet every day. It's what's happening when we're meeting. Is there something alive inside of us? Fire, I don't know, I forget the name of the movie. I think it was Ladder, wasn't it? Or 47. And they started, it's about firemen, about 12, 15 years ago. Anybody see that movie? Yeah. And they started talking about, they even made the fire growl when they'd go put out a fire in the building. And it's coming through. I've heard tornadoes growl. I've heard fires growl. I've heard, every, I've heard my wife growl. Anyway. Um, but I want to tell you something. You know what hit me the other day? I'm reading through Acts. You know what hit me? This fire is alive. It's a living thing. When it says tongues of fire descended upon their head at Pentecost, do you realize he's describing an inanimate object and a living object? Isn't that strange? Why do you do that? Why don't you just say coals of fire? Logs of fire. He said tongues of fire. 
You realize also that the writer of Hebrews calls God a consuming fire. God is fire. And He promised, I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with myself. Fire. It's a living thing. It consumes everything around it. And the deal is this, the fire of Pentecost wasn't meant to be an event only. It was a fire that is supposed to be with us day after day. And when he says baptize, it means we disappear into that thing. When a person gets baptized in water, they disappear. And all you see is the water, unless the water is clear. So we're a people who are born of fire. We're a people who are baptized in fire. And the sad thing is baptism has become just a ceremony. Just as that water kind of overwhelms you when you're baptized, so the Spirit shall overwhelm us with His fire. It consumes, it, it purifies. But you know there's also power in fire. They talk about the force of fire as it roars through the bush. Man, it can literally roll cars over. It is so strong and so powerful. Well, how much more powerful is the fire from heaven? It carries a force behind it. The fire of the Spirit empowers us to live a kingdom life. We go, oh, I just can't do it. It's so hard and nothing happens. And come on, where's the fire? You don't have to create it, just receive it. And then carry it because we're not just baptized in fire. We carry the Spirit of fire. You know, this whole thing is not just about our initiation into Christianity. It is our insignia. It's not something that just happens. It's something that marks us for life. We are people, we should smell like smoke. I love what Pastor Eric said last Sunday morning. You know, just next time you go to a barbecue, just hang around the whole barbecue for a couple hours, then walk out. And everybody, nobody will say, where have you been? They just go, know where you've been. Smell it on them. The Holy Ghost should be seen and heard and felt through us. Because of the fire of God, it's our insignia. The presence and the power of the Spirit marks us and it sets us apart for life. You see, the unity that the early church had, it was far more than just a special meeting. It, it wasn't limited to their gatherings, nor was it experienced by just their leaders. Oh, this is a leader's thing? It's just the leaders that get excited because you tell them they have to, Keith, if they sit down there. No, no. We get excited because we want to get excited, not because we feel it, not because we have to, but because of His faithfulness and His fire that's so much greater. It's more than a meeting, but it's also more than just a handful of leaders, guys. This heated unity was carried by more than the 12 apostles or the leaders of the church. Hey, we pay you guys to carry this. Something's wrong when that slips into the mindset of the church. The fire of unity spread throughout the church. It was carried by thousands. Have you ever thought about this? It's a funny thing. The result was incredible influence on 3,000 people immediately. Immediately. Now, have you ever thought about this? 120 followers who are brand new at this thing, all of a sudden, in one day, they've got 3,000 people they've got to talk to about what it really means to walk with God. 3,000 in one day. It didn't finish when they baptized them. And what you read after that is the journal of how they did this and what took place. But I often hear people say this, something like this, you know, God will give us, and it sounds so spiritual, I just want to vomit. God will give us new people, new believers when He knows we can handle them. 
My question is, what do we have to do to be qualified to handle them? Like what qualified the early church? There's 120 of them. They had to handle 3,000 people in a day. And the Bible says, if you read that commentary from verse 40, 42 on, they had a tremendous impact on them that changed their lives forever. Now, think about this for a minute. Think about this. So what did they have, what did they have that we don't have? Hmm? What did those 120 have that we don't have? Um, they were only filled with the Spirit days before. Listen, they didn't have earned degrees in theology or ministry. Um, they didn't have some superstructure to assimilate people. Um, and they didn't even have plans. How are we going to do this? We better come up with a strategy. So what did they have that we didn't have? Nothing. They had the same things that we have today. They had the fire of the Holy Spirit, prayer, the Word, His presence, and a heated purpose to reach people. That's it. That's all they had. Did they do it perfectly? No, but they did it passionately. And we're here today as a result of that because their influence was what I call uncontained. It wasn't just on the 3,000, by the way. Oh my goodness. Now we've got 3,100 plus people. We better bunker down and take care of what we got. Careful. You do that, God will give you no more. It's not about bunkering down. It's about rising up. It says in verse 43, everyone around was in awe. Not just everyone inside the building. There was no building. Everyone in the city stood in awe. Then it says, people in general liked what they saw. I hear despairing comments about the church out there, particularly in the current climate with the vote going on. And yet people in general like what they saw. Why? Because it was infectious. Every day their number grew as God added to those who are being saved. Do you see that? It didn't stay at 3,120. Every day you get to chapter five and it's at least 10, 15,000 people strong like that. Why? Because their influence went beyond their own gatherings. It was out of control. It was revolutionary. And the scriptures make it clear that it spread throughout the city. And by the way, Jerusalem was about the same population as the, the larger Newcastle area. Did you know that? And within, th when it, let's see, let me head, head count. Year 70, Titus sacked Jerusalem. Jesus leaves planet Earth about vaguely around 33. So probably less than what? Less than 40 years, more than half of the city of Jerusalem had been swept into the kingdom of God. If I were a church planter, it would have been the last place on Earth I would have gone to plant a church, Jerusalem. They just killed Jesus. And yet, took these people with their influence to spread throughout the city. Not just 120, not just 12, not even just 3,000. Thousands spreading through the city with a fire of God, infecting people so much that the people liked what they saw and said, I'll have some of that, thanks. I'll have what she's having. Give me some of that. It was so tangible, it could not be ignored. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Gilbert Bilzekian, probably not. He's probably gone on to be with the Lord by this stage. You know what he said about Acts 2? Acts 2 tells us of a community of believers. This church offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. Verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So why isn't the church like that today? We've got what they got. 
we can do what they did. The fire of revival not, not only influenced the new disciples, it began to influence their city. And revival just broke out of any kind of containment that tried to steward it. You know, I don't think you steward revival. I think you live reckless with it. It's uncontained. And I don't mean that wild, but wild things happen when God starts moving. I remember reading the Canadian Baptist when, when revival started happening, you know what he said? Um, he said, when natural man comes in contact with supernatural God, some unnatural things might happen. And I think that's what kills it sometimes. We're so afraid of looking silly. We're so afraid of embarrassment. We're so afraid of losing our pride that we go, I won't do that. The moment we do that, it's like a little section of our fire goes down to dark coals. And I'm not saying anything goes. There's wisdom, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in revival, what God says goes. That's what I'm saying. And I need to tell you, church, I'm excited when I see what God's doing here. And I love the fact that people are engaging with Him. People are hungry for Him, that He's speaking to us. And the reality of His presence is increasing. And it's like something's getting awakened in people. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.